Welcome to today's podcast. Today, I've got a special guest, Jennifer Rains from Your Right Hand Finance Team. I've known Jennifer for oh, a number of years now and um, have no hesitation because she's worked with a lot of my clients and they always rave about her and uh, make me look good, which is always a good thing because I need all the help we can get. So Jen, look, um, instead of me trying to steal your thunder, why don't you give us a bit of an introduction and explain what your right-hand finance team really do with clients and um, how they uh, make their finance function dazzle. Over to you, Jen. Thanks, Daryl. And yeah, I think you'll find we've known each other for something like 16 or 17 years, which is just a little bit scary. So your right-hand finance team. So I, I've, I'm um, a qualified accountant by profession. Um, although I do try and forget that most of the time, but I, my career has not exactly been um, what one would call traditional or textbook. Um, I've worked in lots of different businesses, mostly SMEs. I've spent five years in startups and turnarounds, um, doing some forensic accounting, looking for, for five million pounds that a managing director would run off with. I've worked in some, some of the biggest businesses, Smith's Group, Aircom, Black & Decker, and also in pre-startup um, and pre-revenue businesses. And, and I guess, why am I telling you that? Because all of that different experience has just added to the rich tapestry and, and knowledge base that I'm able to bring to, to SME businesses. And through all of that time, I've been designing and running finance functions um, that whose purpose is to be at the front of the business, next to the business owner, not at the back, just clearing up billing and collecting money and paying suppliers. So your right-hand finance team, I started 14 or 15 years ago, and um, our purpose is to professionalize the accounting function for SMEs so that those businesses can can easily scale thrive be more successful and the business owners can feel happier they you know the clients that we work with the moments that I'm most proud of is when a business owner rings me up or or um gives me a, a drops me an email and says Jen thank you so much your team have changed my life and and sometimes that's as simple as for the first time in five years, I've had the time and the money and the headspace to feel I can take my, my family on holiday and leave the business for a period of time. And for me, I, that is just such a buzz. It's kind of what I was born for, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things my experience of working with you is that you have a knack of describing requirements and needs all around the finance function in English and you don't come across <laughs> as geeky and you explain it really well and my experience is that I've learned a heck of a lot from working with you and alongside you and I was just with a client yesterday who was working with one of your people and they're saying exactly the same thing which yeah I, I know that you whatever it is you do you've 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 been able to distill down and, and train whoever works with you to be able to do exactly the same thing. So is that just sheer coincidence or is there method in the madness and, and are you running some sort of uh, magical um, black box system where you've cloned yourself? Oh, so, so that's really interesting that you asked that because 
you're absolutely right. What I've just described has been a bit all about me. And obviously that's uh, how life is generally. It is all about me. No, no. So we have developed a best practice. So from all my years in corporate and, and working in small business, smaller businesses, I've developed a best practice for how to uh, design, build and run um, the financial side of a business, which doesn't just include the team, the people, the processes, but also we've developed a way of helping finance people, bean counters, be more commercial. Because I, you know, I'm a firm believer, and, and I've had several conversations with several businesses over the years, business owners, where I've asked them, what do you do with your management information? And they look at me and they kind of go, well, I kind of look at them and then I just skim them over and I put them in the drawer, shove them in the bin. And it's kind of like, so stop paying somebody to do that for you. If you're not going to use that information, stop producing it. Which usually generates a, um, a very unusual response, which is, hang on a minute. I've never met an accountant that's told me to do that. Tell me more. Yeah. And, and you should never do anything, I don't think, unless you're getting a return on investment. Mm. And I think that's the bit of magic sauce that we bring. Well, it is. You, you, you get, instead of um, getting the information that's a year's late and just doing it for tax, and we need to do all of that compliance stuff anyway, but um, when the information's out of date, and um, you know, as I say, I was with a client yesterday, and what they were saying to me is, is Daryl, it's the first time in five years that we've been able to make informed decisions with the numbers and know that it's right. And I know exactly where I'm going to be at the end of the year, which know, means I, can, I know that I can recruit, even though we've got this whole COVID thing going on, I can recruit and I can do this and I know exactly where I'm going to be. He said it's so liberating to be able to do this. Oh. So, um, and nice. I know who I'm talking about, so uh, we won't do it. But, um, yeah, and tell us more about that and how, that, how you recreate that with all of your people. Yeah, we have a systemized way of professionalizing the accounting function. We've distilled not just my knowledge over the last 30 years, but other people's, uh, our other team's knowledge as they come into the business. And what we do is we invest um, all the time in um, finding out what's happening in the market, what's happening with technology, what's best practice at the moment everywhere. And we bring everything. We send out like little explorers. That's kind of what I guess what it feels like for us is we just go out into the marketplace, do some research, look for new species and new things that are happening. And then we, we assess that and test that in our own business. And, and then we retrain and rebuild best practice through the whole of our team. So we've got a real methodology for running a finance function. And it's not completely fixed in stone. Even when we work with a client, the foundations are the same. The, the mindset is the same. And, and this system and best practice is then adapted and personalized for each client that we work with. Brilliant. And you spend time training your people and refreshing them in oh. the best practice. It's a massive investment in our business. And, and it's interesting because when I first started your right-hand finance team, I, I can be quite derogatory about my profession. The day I qualified, um, I cried for two days because I was so disappointed at the quality and the, the standard that was expected. 
you know, of, uh, and all that effort that I put in, I really only needed to know 25% of the syllabus in order to pass. 25%? Yeah, yeah. Wow, then we, um, and it, and well, it was we could move on from that point really quite quickly. So, you know, from a, from a professional point of view, it's not about the qualification. You know, it's really important that people are qualified. Yeah. But actually, when our team joined your right-hand finance team, they, we, we just wrap our Technicolor dream coat around them and we, we build on the basics that they already have and we build... Um, a knowledge in them and a way of working that's consistent, repeatable and reliable. Okay, so you've got a standard process that you use, you train your people in it, so they're all approaching working with clients the same way. Yep. Um, you're working with growing um, SME, you know, owner-led businesses who are ambitious and looking to take their business to the next level and they're getting on top of things by getting on top of their accounts and finance. And as part of that, some of these businesses are getting ready for exit. So Absolutely. why don't you take us through you know, some of the things that you look for, some of your experiences in, in getting businesses ready for exit. So I guess I'll bet you've got a bag full of horror stories as well as a bag full of um, great stories. Um, so why don't you tell us, you know, some of the financial side of things that, that, that people look for when they're on the acquisition trail. So the thing that I've noticed over the years is that Whenever I meet a business owner, I ask them, what, what purpose does their business serve for them? Why do they start it? Why do they carry on with it? In, and what is it doing for them? What's it adding? Um, and, and what do they want in the future? What's their vision for the future? And, and inevitably, the conversation gets round to how are you going to exit? Or I want to do this in the future, so I'm doing this now so I can do that later. And when we, when, when we start talking about exit and what aspirations are around exit, I would say 85% of the time, these two numbers are always quoted at me. How much do you want to get? About 5 million. How long, do you, how long before you get that? About five years. I mean, people say this number seven is the magic number, but in my experience, it's five. <laughs> Well, that's the metric version, isn't it? Yeah, they've just rounded it down to five or, or you know, units of 10. And, and so they say they want to get five mil. How often do they have some sort of awareness, accurate awareness of what the business is really worth today? So that's really interesting because they, you know, this is the answer I get. I want five million in five years. I'm kind of like, okay, how are you going to get that? Well, that's kind of what everybody's known a mate or somebody or seen a a piece of PR in the paper is usually somebody else in their sector who's got more than 5 million, but they don't think they're quite as good as them. So they're just going to round it down a bit. And they don't really, um, when I ask, there, there is often a bit of a lack of understanding of how businesses are valued. They just kind of go, oh, well, I've got some stuff and that's what they paid for somebody else. And um, it's kind of like, well, it doesn't really work that way. Um, Let's have a conversation about how people value businesses. So most valuations are based on a profit times multiplier. Yep. And, and that multiplier is a benchmark of the industry. Or they're based on future cash flows, or if you've developed some IP or an asset, there might be a bit extra added on for that. So um, 
What's really interesting, though, I'm just going to quickly run some numbers for you because there are a couple of levers there. The number, well, as soon as I mention this, the number that everybody kind of hinges on and focuses on is the profit number. Yep. And they go, ah, so I got this profit number and the multiplier might be this, 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 this. So uh, let's do what we can to increase the profit. So that's not wrong, but it's only half the story, of course. So, but the problem is, is most people think, I, 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 from my experience of conversations, that they can't influence the multiplier. Now, I know you have an opinion about that. Well, I was just going to say, we're here to tell you differently. <laughs> but I find that fascinating in the marketplace, that most business owners, SME business owners, that's businesses of somewhere between one and 10 million pound, where it's them or them and a partner or, and them and the, and the beginnings or an established management team. Uh, that's, that's the kind of level of knowledge around selling a business. And most of these business owners will only do this once. Yeah. They'll not do it a second time. They might, once they've exited once, they might go and invest in a couple other bits and pieces, but essentially this is their pension and their payday for all that hard work. And I, I think there's a bit of the multiplier that is completely undervalued that I'll come, come along to in a minute. So let's run some numbers. So the profit's half a million. The multiplier is five. Therefore, the business value is two and a half million. Let's say we increase the profit to a million and the multiplier stays the same. The business is now valued at five million. Daryl, how hard would you say it was on a scale of one to ten to increase your profits after tax from five million from, from half a million to one million? Well, given most business owners, let's say it took them 10, 15 years to get to that first half mill. They're not going to get to the next half mill in, in a short time frame. And even though they're growing and, and rapidly uh, increasing the growth of their business, it's a lot of hard work. You know, there's only, you can only increase efficiencies of each system once. You can only tighten up things. You can only extract costs once. So to improve your profit, you're basically having to, to double your profit. In this scenario, you really have to double your sales. Which yeah. sounds like a heck of a lot of hard work for a yeah, lot of owners out there. I would say that definitely is. So, of course, there's another way of making that same five million magic five million pound number is that you actually have still a half million pound profit, but you change your multiplier from five to ten. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the real magic starts to happen when you increase both your profits and your multiplier. Well, and once you increase the multiplier, the, the only reason the multiplier increases is because you have done a certain amount of work of increasing the profit as well. Exactly. And it's really interesting because a lot of people talk about with business owners, you need to work on the business rather than in the business. In the, in the business is about delivering today's money and yep. some increased volume, some increased volume. When you work on the business, you can, you can make a much bigger difference to your current profits and you can make a difference to your multiplier. Absolutely. And I think that's, really important and misunderstood yeah you're bang on and, and and these are the stories we hear as well and and you know you talk about business owners having a valuation for their business and they often get their current valuation from their mate down the pub and uh <laughs> you know you know 
he, he sold his business for two mil and, and my business is better than theirs. So therefore, here's my valuation. I think I can get three for mine based on what? I don't know. And then, and then you also talk to them a bit more and uh, every business in every industry has always got this story of why, yeah, here's the standard multiplier in our industry is five. But there, there, was, there was this one business that went for 15 and they've always got a story but they don't know why that business went for 15 multiplier as opposed to five. They think it was just good luck, but it's always, a, there's always a reason. It wasn't just chance. They did something or a number of things in their business that made it more attractive to a strategic buyer. And therefore part of it was future profits and part of it was off balance sheet type of um, assets. And it, but it wasn't sheer chance as, as I think you're leading to. No, it's not. And actually without wanting to, uh, step into your space at all or do you your job i mean you know the, the common themes are you need good people you need a good product you need clients you need marketing you need a good sales machine da, 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 da. And, and but i think the one that everybody thinks is completely not se not sexy and nobody ever remembers is building the machine yep the thing that people buy is the machine it's the infrastructure and that's what, um, um, absolutely, it's what, what uh, is secures up that future cash flow predictions. That's exactly right. Because actually, a business acquisition, if you look at it from the acquirer's point of view for a second, is they are giving someone money for something that is going to make them more money. Yep. I mean, I look at marketing like this. If I give someone 500 quid and that gives me a client back that's worth 45 grand, I'll just carry on giving them 500 quid. Absolutely. <laughs> and if it's repeatable and reliable, you'll just keep doing it all day long. Exactly. And, and the thing is, I think um, people who are selling their business forget that. that they, they, and I guess it's very easy to stay in the space of it's all about me and you'll remember I mentioned that earlier in this podcast is they look at it from their point of view and actually one of the best things you can do and it's it's a bit like owning a business and understanding your client if you understand your clients client avatar and you understand what pains your client has and what their needs are you need to look at your acquirer in that same way what do they want? What are their fears? What, what's in it for them? What's going to stop them going ahead? What's going to give them an opportunity to chip? And so an acquirer is just another type of client. You're just mm. selling. And I think it's really interesting because, like I said, in my experience with businesses that have been through exit, tried to go through exit, or who have acquired, because I've sat on both sides of the fence, mm -hmm. um, I would say most entrepreneurs undervalue the difference the machine can make to their exit value. Yeah. Because it's all about confidence. And I think yeah. one of the reasons that they, they discount it is because it's part of their normal, their day to day, and they take it for granted. And they forget how much work and effort they put into it in the early days to, to establish that day-to-day -day almost boring methodology. But the more boring it is, the more reliable it is. Um, that's exactly right. And I think, uh, actually, just human, human senses, it, you've nailed it, it's boring, it's not sexy, it's boring, it's dull, it takes commitment, it takes a bit of grit 
to go back over that space. And I think as well, in, in the business owners that I've spoken to, there's a little bit of fear around the fact that they may be perceived to be stepping on the toes of their leadership team. Because mm. the machine isn't just in finance, it's through the whole business. So it's a great conversation and, and all the ways that we can look at valuation. And uh, Jen, I invited you on the show today, fully expecting, he says with tongue in cheek, that we'd be having a conversation around the finance function and what you do. Yeah. So perhaps uh, we can segue back into that. And, uh, and, 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 when, when, and we're talking about the value still and how we increase value of a business. So yeah. from the finance function perspective, when someone is looking to acquire a business and they're at the due diligence stage and they're digging into the financials of the company, what, what are the golden rules? What are they looking for in those financials and the financial reporting? And what do they definitely not want to see, for example? Okay. So let's start with the real basic. People who acquire businesses expect to see management reporting. They expect to see a well-run ship. They expect to see. So if you haven't got management reporting, and many SME businesses, business, businesses don't have it or don't you know, have only very basic information, as you say, they get it once a year and they see whether they can afford their dividends and then they pack it away for another year. If you haven't got any management information that tells you how you're doing and you can't demonstrate that you're using that information to run your ship, you're not going to get very far and you're definitely not going to get the value you could get. Yep. And, the, and this goes beyond a standard profit and loss account and balance sheet. Yeah. Which was, yeah, I was just going to ask that for those businesses that don't have regular management reporting in place at the moment, some of the smaller end of, of the market, what, what, what would they expect to find? What would a management report give them and why would they want to do that? while they are growing and even though they may not be looking to exit today. Yeah, so the thing that things that management information can give you that's different from your year-end accounts that can help you have a benefit today. So you can have more cash today for yourself and a better lifestyle as well as building future value in for when you exit. So management information is a bit of an evolution really. If you've never had anything, at least get a monthly profit and loss account. How much, have you how much have you sold? What are your cost of sales? What's your margin? What are your cost base? What's your profit at the bottom of it each month? And then once you start getting that, you can start tracking, well, how is this month different from last month? Yeah. How is this quarter different from last quarter? Because the real um, benefit of management information is you can start to trend. Look at the trends. Are we trending up? Are we trending down? Yep. Why are things changing? So, so actually, management information quite often isn't the answer. It's the question. Brilliant. Yeah, and you can start to see, is it a seasonal trend? Is it, does it happen this time every year? Is it, you know, what's happening to my cash flow? Can I afford to do this? Can I do, you know, what's the timing of my cash flow? And so that's really interesting because we've started with a very simple profit and loss. We've turned that into trends and see how things are changing month on month and month. And you now have now added something else into the mix. So the next stage is once you know where you are every month, you wanna start saying, okay, well, I know where I am every month. Where am I gonna be next month, the month after that, and the month after that? So you start projecting, forecasting. Yeah. Oh, and that is something about accounting. There's five words for everything. Five so, words for everything. 
Oh, they make it so complicated and it, I'm sure it's deliberate, my profession. So, so projections, forecasts, budgets, business plans, they're all the same. They're all the same. It's just, you just, so once you know where you are today, you want to start looking forward to tomorrow. And that will help you in your decision-making. That question that you ask, can I afford? Yeah. And you, you start looking at a combination of both profit and cash because they're different. Yeah. You know, VAT will never show up in your profit and loss account. But if you forget you've got to pay it, whoa, that is a real shocker. Yeah, it can be a, a real killer, can't it? You need to understand both of those things because a business can be really profitable and go bust or a business can be a massive loss maker and, and still continue trading because its cash flow is really good. So both of those reports tell you something else, tell you different things. So you're managing different things. And then what you start to do is you can start to track against plans. So, you know, we're coming to a time of year where the new year is looming and you're kind of sitting there going, well, I know what I'm doing at the moment. What do I think I could do next year? And, and the, the bear trap that I think a lot of business owners fall into is they look at the numbers first and then kind of go, oh, I'd, just, I'd like this number next year. Whereas actually, you need to look at your numbers first and go, what am I doing and how am I achieving that? How many clients do I have? How, what's my average sale value? What, how many products do I have? How many customers buy different products? Yeah. What margins am I making? How many people do I have? All those, which are my most profitable customers? How many customers do I have in X location or, or region? And then you can build the story. Yeah, which is a different approach to just going, well, at the end of the year going, okay, we did X. How do we do 10% more next year? And just no. and harder. Yeah, no, don't do that. So, so, and the thing is, this all ties into you exiting your business because you have to build the story. You have to paint the vision for the person acquiring your business. And, and they don't care about, oh, we're just going to add 10% on the revenue or we're going to add another 10 clients because guess what the next question is going to be? Oh, righto, how are you going to do that then? Uh, the answer is not... Um, <laughs> we'll just do more of what we did last year surely we'll just do more. no no harder we'll get more people in okay. no we'll just hit the phones harder so that's what you can use management information for today and anyone that's acquiring you is going to want to see a PL over a period of time they're going to want to see that PL against plan. So remember, go back to the valuation. They, they are probably going to be valuing you based on future cash flows, future profits. And if you're projecting that your future profits are going to be bigger, you're going to need to demonstrate today that you have a track record of, of forecasting and planning accurate, accurately. Yeah. So if you've got a history of growing revenues, and hitting targets, you're much more likely to get a higher valuation. Well, because it doesn't open the door for being chipped. So if you produce a, a wacky forecast or projection for the person that's acquiring you, and they go back and they see that every year you have a habit of overestimating your business plan. And there's always a great reason for it, I really get that. Then they're just gonna look at those statistics and go, Nah, we're just going to slice another 50% off the top of that. 
So just for the benefit of some of our listeners, you've used the word chipped a couple of times now. What does that mean? <laughs> Negotiate. Reduce the price. Yeah, It's a bit like buying a house. Yep. They, every time they notice, um, you know, a flake of paint coming off the bedroom wall or there's a paving slab up in the garden that's loose, that's another 1,000 quid comes off the price. Yeah. And a yeah. business is just the same. You have to view selling your business the same as you're selling your house. Great. And, and you can't just chuck a coat of paint on it the day before you put it on the market and hope the photography turns out really well. Because that may work for people walking in through the door. But due diligence is like a, a survey on your house. They're going to come in and look at everything. They're going to come and look at the fact that you've got signed contracts with your clients and that you've got properties and seas. They're going to look at uh, what supplier contracts you, you have. They're, they're going to see how many of your team are freelance and how many are on payroll. They're going to want to see every employment contract you've got. And they're going to go back through the history and look at your staff retention and your client retention. And they're going to go and see what, what um, uh, legal action has been taken against you. And they're going to go and do a credit check, which most people forget. And if you haven't filed your accounts on time any time in the last four years, they're going to notice that and they're going to go, why? And there's only two reasons why somebody doesn't file their accounts on time. They're either holding back bad news or the ship isn't under control. Mm. And this is the second them. one that they know about the first one. <laughs> oh well you've just learned something then <laughs> so they you, you know this is all about building confidence in your buyer confidence is all about evidence and evidence is all about numbers and statistics and being able to demonstrate historically that you've got a well-run ship and it means that there are some things that they don't like to see so they don't like to see directors loan, loan accounts this is where you, you're taking money out of the business and it's piling up in the balance sheet rather than being declared either through dividends or through payroll. They don't like to see directors buying personal stuff on the company out of the company bank account. So I'm talking about um, a company debit card and you going and putting your Waitrose shop on it or you filling up your personal car with fuel every now and again and trust me they know what to look for and they'll go find it and and the accounting system and technology because they'll ask for access to that yeah they, they know exactly where to go so don't put golf fees through don't put your kids school fees through which you shouldn't do anyway um don't put waitress through you know keep demonstrate that you understand that the business money is different from your money have a dividend policy so that you, that you can demonstrate that you have a different understanding between the money you get for doing your job and, and the benefit that you have for being a shareholder. And that, that also connects to paying yourself a salary, a market rate salary, um, as opposed to a tax effective you know, salary that you do purely for tax reasons and then taking all of your money out of dividends if you're leading up to an exit to demonstrate what the market rate is for the job you're doing. They'll add all your dividends back in anyway. 
and they'll say well you're, you're acting as a as a managing director so we're going to actually take your salary out and your dividends out and then we're going to put in the cost of a professional managing director yeah and by the way you'd probably want to apply for that job <laughs> because the remuneration package will be quite good much better than you're getting at the moment trust me quite likely um, so it's really important that you make sure your tax filings are up to date that you're on top of your VAT you haven't got any payment plans in place you know financially your ledgers need to be nice and clean you need to demonstrate that you've got robust financial management you need to demonstrate that not everybody in the business can just go off and buy something um, and and the technical word for that is delegated authority levels so you need to have good controls everybody knows what they can buy and how much and whether they need to get it signed off first so it's really good to get that stuff in place Okay, so there's some really good tips there that are really useful, specific tips of you know, how to clean up your accounts because you know, I'm sure listeners have heard me talk about cleaning up your financials. Um, but you've just shared some really specific tips on what you do want to do and what you don't want to do in your financials as part of cleaning them up in anticipation of an exit. So if you, if you are thinking of the, there's going to be a transaction or you want to exit your business, how many years of, let's say, clean accounts do you really need to have uh, to, for the due diligence process to, to go nice and smoothly? Minimum three. Minimum of three years of clean and tidy accounts. So that means yeah, you've really got to start planning three years of getting your business exit ready uh, before you uh, want to do something. And the key word there was minimum. Yeah. And Noted. preferably more than five. Right. And once you've got seven plus, then there's less risk of HMRC coming and opening a, a, an investigation in, on you. Okay, so some really good words of advice there because no one wants that. No, well, and it starts to take out things like warranties in the, in the sale contract. Because, you know, they may agree to pay you £5 million for your business, but it doesn't mean that you can just walk away with that business, uh, with that money. You know, if they think that there's a, a legal case building somewhere, let's say one of your staff have got a sniff that you might be exiting the business and they, they start a grievance procedure. The, the acquirer, you'll need to declare that. And then the acquirer may turn around and say, well, do you know what? We don't quite know where that's going to go. It's got nothing to do with us. So we're going to buy your business for £5 million, but we want a million pound of that put into escrow to cover any potential other legal issues that arise through the first two years of the business of us taking it on. So you may not get your mitts on it all at once. And all of a sudden, there's a 20% hit. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's a bit like you paying a deposit when you rent a house or a flat. When you come to the end of the tenancy agreement, who's got the money? You haven't. <laughs> and then you've got to fight for it. Alrighty. So you've shared a lot of great specific tips for, for business owners. So how would you describe, because some business owners may be out there thinking, hey, look, I'm... I'm not quite at that size. I'm only at two mil, only at three mil, maybe only even at one mil in revenue. I can't afford to you know, bring in a full-time financial you know, person, skilled person in my business, but I've got a great relationship with my accountant. Surely my account accountant can do all of this for me. What's the difference between what you do and, and you know, what, what the accountant, the typical compliance type of accountant would be doing for a business? 
No, I think that's really interesting because when anybody starts a business, um, the first place you go is to an accountant because the driver there is, I want to make sure I'm doing everything properly and I need somebody to file my tax return and make sure I'm not paying too much tax. And, th and that's all a bit scary because it's complicated, so I'd rather just give that to somebody else. And at that point in time, the accountant is the perfect fit for that business. Yeah. You can manage all the day-to-day -day yourself. The accountant looks after the technical stuff and you don't pay too much tax, which means there's more money in the business. And that's, that's brilliant. But the thing is, as the business grows, that brief changes. Because what growth brings is um, also lack of control. So there's a stage at the beginning and early stages of your business where you see everything that comes through. You pay every bill, you send every invoice to a customer, you send every quote, you know every customer, you know every supplier, uh, you, you manage everything. And there comes a stage where you can't do that anymore and you've got to give some jobs to other people. And, and in, in all of in all of the time that I've been working with SME business owners, this is where the first and biggest area of risk is. Because this process for trusting other people and keeping control of what's going on with the money is a really difficult thing to do without doing it yourself. You know, business owners have never run a finance function before. They don't really know about financial controls. They don't understand the risks. Generally, I find them incredibly trusting. Yeah. And, and sometimes that costs them a, a couple of hundred thousand pounds because they kind of go, everything's financial. I'm just going to chuck it at the bookkeeper that comes next. And they'll just manage it. And they think that because that bookkeeper is qualified or used to managing money that they're trustworthy. And, and actually, sometimes they're not. Yeah. So the, this is an area of stuff that a business owner isn't used to having to manage or put in place. And the, the problem is then is he's got members of his team making decisions about discounting, procurement, negotiating pricing, making sure they get paid, uh, giving people staff pay rises. And, you know, leadership team mentality is often not that they don't have the same driver as people who run the business because us business owners we feel like the money's ours because it is <laughs> if it's not in the business it's coming into our bank account and so business owners need help to get those controls in place and that's what management information brings is it's knowing the margin on every deal that you do it's knowing that stuff isn't being bought that you don't that that hasn't been approved and then your costs don't run out of control it's about benchmarking it's about comparing and and that's the is it all okay mentality but there's also where's the opportunity so i i've i've already mentioned earlier in the business in in this podcast that you can use numbers to make sure you're safe and okay Yep. But you can also use numbers to identify opportunities to grow. So how many clients do I have? What are they buying? What else could I sell them? What other product categories and what other services? Which customers make me the most margin? Which customers make me the least margin? What do I think I can do about that? Can I sell to those types of clients in a new region? 
who might they be? Might my, my own clients, existing clients, have divisions in different regions or different countries? And could I use those relationships to go and cross-sell into different divisions? So, for instance, one of our clients is a tech business. Is that they, they have an education system and they, they work with uh, one of their clients is Guildford um, Polytechnic. Well, they're not called that anymore, are they? But it's Guildford Technical College and they work in one department. So he quadrupled the size of his business by using that contact in one department to go and work, work for four other departments. Yeah. And, th and that's where the numbers can come from. And, and it's about using the numbers to analyze how your marketing's working. Where am I finding my clients? Um, uh, which channels work for me? How much do those channels cost? How much does it cost me to acquire a client in that channel? In, and clients that come from that channel, are they the most profitable clients or are they the least profitable clients? Are they the clients that keep buying for, from me or are they the ones that buy once and then disappear again? And so that's how you can use the numbers. And this is where there's a real difference between your traditional high street accountant who look after the tax and the annual, annual reporting to government. And that's very technically complicated and, and you need to keep up to date with that all the time if you're going to do that. And then there's business accounting. And, and the thing is, the career path is completely different. I've never worked in practice. They wouldn't have me. I know they wouldn't. But on the other hand, I also talk to accountants and, and business owners who have taken on people from accounting firms as either a financial controller or finance director but they've never run a finance function. They've never been an analyst. They don't understand the commercials. They're very good at ticking the boxes. They're very good at tax, but it's completely different. That's like saying a plumber is the same as, a, as an electrician. It's kind of what it's like. Different skill sets. Different skill sets. So you need the right skill sets at the right time. And, and the reason we st I started your right-hand finance team is I've always passionately believed, I've seen it, I've worked in businesses that have been failing or struggling because they haven't got the right finance function in place. The money's just not being managed and the business owner has never been trained around how to do that and they're struggling. And, and it's, it's kind of like we just know how to help get it all sorted. And it's a partnership. So we don't try and run, run anybody's business. That's not our gig. That's for the clever person. But we're just there as a servant in the business to make sure that the machine's being built, the cogs are turning, and the money's coming in. Brilliant. So as always, Jen, whenever I chat with you, there's always a, a handful of you know, pearls of wisdom there. There's always something to learn. <laughs> so look, you've shared so much with us today on this podcast. There, what's the one thing, the, the, the key message, if you like, that you would really love listeners to, to take away from this conversation with you today? So I'm going to give you a gift because there's two. There you go, 50% bonus. <laughs> I think that's 100% bonus, actually. Yeah. Um, you did that deliberately to check that I was on the ball. Um don't leave problems in your business for the next person to sort out because you'll be paying them to sort them. Get it sorted now because you'll get a benefit now 
because you're not just when you sort problems and build your machine you're not just building for the future you're going to get payback immediately and the second one is don't leave your pension planning until you retire oh, yeah. you know it's just you just don't do that do you there's so and, much in that one well and i think you know the current environment it's you know causing everybody to think my gosh something has come completely left field who knows what's around the corner tomorrow and and um you know you don't want to leave it to your wife and kids to have to try and sort that stuff out either so get it sorted now get it ready get the benefit now have a better life now less stress more time to enjoy what you want to do and an easier life with less fretting around the business and less risk and more opportunity with an eye to the future that's an amazing uh, piece to end on so as always thank you i get your energy your passion your insight it's a absolute uh, blessing for, for business owners to be involved and please business owners get on top of your finance have a clean set of accounts while you're thinking about it Thanks, Jen. It's been a pleasure, as always, to chat with you today. Um, well, Daryl, I just want to say thank you. It's such a privilege. It's such a privilege, you know, working with business owners. They're in awe-inspiring. Yeah. Thanks, Jen. Be safe. Bye. Bye.